0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So, um, on these Monday evenings, we're in the middle of a series of talks on the Buddha's teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness. The fundamental text Kind of the original Genesis, the source text for the whole mindfulness phenomena that we have in this uh, around the world now, comes from this one text really. And uh, in this text, they have um, thirteen, kind of like thirteen exercises to do, and these exercises are meant to uh, develop a heightened sense of awareness, a heightened awareness. An awareness is so strong that uh, it's we know that we're aware. We're not preoccupied with the things we're aware of, our thoughts, our concerns, our taxes, or whatever it might be. But we are the the existence or the presence of awareness is palpable, is visible not visible, but you know, can be perceived in the mind's eyes are really clear. I'm aware. Wow. And that once that awareness gets that strong, that opens the door for seeing, uh, having insight that is liberating. So the whole purpose of these exercises is to uh, move a meditator towards liberation. And so what it means uh, by these exercises is they have a particular purpose. And and, uh, it's not using mindfulness in order to help us with many of the different important events, stories, situations of our life that we run into. We know that mindfulness helps in all kinds of things and certainly can help us with the challenges of our life that we have to think about and reflect on or something. Um, But this uh, uh, mindfulness practice um, is honing in the attention to those, that phenomena, those ex- ways of experiencing ourselves that support this heightened awareness. At the point of the practice is not to sort through the life issues we have. It's almost like the life issues, you know, are put on a shelf or, or we, we see the life issues if we focus on them in a new way. So we're not really dealing with the issues we're dealing with something much more fundamental. And that distinction is very important to see because um, if people are doing mindfulness practice and they're trying to kind of explore and deal with their personal issues, um, but the instructions are actually to go a different way, they can set up attention. And, uh, and so people, you know, there's nothing wrong, actually, it's actually very important at times in life to use mindfulness to look at our personal issues it's actually a very important part of life and we grow and develop through it and sort our life out Um, but it's um, some people uh, I think uh, some people that I meet it seems like that's all they think mindfulness is about and so it's all about focusing on their psychology their emotions their stories what's happening in their lives um, uh, in a way that is never ending it 's kind of like a labyrinth you know a maze once you go into certain parts of our life, and uh, if you really go in there you 'll never come out so um, so uh, it 's like stepping stepping away to look back at this this whole, this whole all this life that we have through a different perspective and now this this new perspective uh, I think it becomes particularly clear when we get to the uh, the seventh exercise of the thirteen, which is um, mindfulness of feelings. Now, the people, some people now get really excited, finally we're going to deal with the emotions. <laughs> and, um, you know, feelings, good old feelings. Um, the problem is that um, it's not the emotions. And, um, And it's rather unfortunate that uh, they're translating this Pali word Vedana as feelings. Uh, It's just that, you know, in some ways it's it's the most straightforward, simple English thing we could choose. Um, The word uh, uh, comes from the the verb Vedati, which means to know or to experience, to have direct immediate experience, not like you had an experience of... The beach uh, today—it's like you know know, the. the, But if you're at the beach, the experience of a contact of the wind against your cheek—that kind of you know sensory contact—and so that's what the verb uh, refers to. And vedana is, uh, is I think, literally means something like, kind of like that which is known or that which is experienced. And there's many, many things that we can experience, but it's placed into particular categories, all the things we can experience. And the different places in the suttas, the Buddha categorizes vedana, the things that we can know or the things we can experience directly in many different ways. But in this text of um, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, he does it in a particular way, which is, um, he focuses on what can be seen as a common denominator of all experiences. All experiences we have have one of three qualities to it. And so it's the feeling, what it was, what's referred to as feeling, is this, these, uh, these three qualities that all experience can have. And what's interesting when you have something that's a common denominator or something that's common or universal to all experience then you have a toehold into being mindful of them or paying attention to them that, uh, that you can use in all, all these different, all, in anything you come, come to, any situation at all, you have this kind of perspective that you can bring to, to bring the mind to a kind of different state of heightened awareness. So it's a very powerful state, this thing, this Vedana. Um, in this exercise, as it's described, in these uh, these feelings of idina, there's a uh, uh, um, a distinction that's made, or two general categories that are very important, and it's uh, kind of like, if you think of, um, I don't know, like a walnut. You know, you, you get walnut nut. You know, you take it off a tree and it, it has this nut, the shell around the outside, right? It's hard. And many seeds have shell on the outside. They just protect the germ or the, the real seed on the inside. And, um, and uh, you know, but with a walnut shell, it's really hard. It takes some work to get to the meat, they call it, but the seed that's inside. Um, but uh, with Vedana, um, there's, uh, it's almost like you can see there's two, there's this, this shell that can be known, and then there's that which is more essential inside, the seed. And um, now the shell is uh, what how they refer to it in the text, they call it of the flesh, things of the flesh. The preceding six exercises have been all about the body, mindfulness of the body. And it's mostly mindfulness of the body through <coughs> The flesh through you know the the sensory apparatus we have that we can feel and connect to the world and we feel it and how it is in the body and that's kind of like the shell and Buddhism puts tremendous importance on mindfulness of the body and being embodied. There's not there's no no denigration of it or it's very very important but it's still kind of the shell um, and there's something. Uh, like a seed, something inside, and uh, and uh, that's called not of the flesh. Now it's kind of kind of a provocative that Bhikkhu Bodhi, who translates uh, many of these texts, uh, he calls these two categories of the flesh and not of the flesh. What I'm calling the shell and the the seed inside, he calls it um, uh, worldly and uh, unworldly. So there's the worldly experiences, and then there's the unworldly. So which would you prefer? <laughs> uh, it's a little strange, but literally the text, it literally, the, the literal Pali means of the flesh and not of the flesh. And, um, and of the flesh are those experiences that come from our, kind of our, on the surface of our, of our life, and not of the flesh or those that are well up more deeply inside. I like to think of them as being connected to the quality of our inner life, quality of our inner being. And um, and so, you know, we can go through life and we can be in, the, be in the rain and cold and that's kind of, you know, maybe miserable. And But then, you know, the rain stops, the sun comes out, and that's kind of delightful. And that's kind of all of the flesh that's worldly kind of on the outside it comes and goes these things but the deeper the real you know how are we how are we really deep inside you might the surface might be kind of like you know a little bit bummed about the rain but deep inside there might be very deep contentment or a sense of well-being and happiness the sun might come out and be beautiful on this on the surface We feel like we relax, we take off our raincoat, that's how nice it is. But if you really go deep inside, we find I'm really lonely. Or I'm really kind of sad about something. So what is it like really inside deep? And uh, so that's what kind of, we're kind of getting into what I call the quality of our inner life. And it turns out that we're the custodian of that quality. No one else can do it for us that uh, how we are in the depths of our being is we're the caretakers of that. And learning how to take care of that, learning how to be mindful of that, learning how to practice in such a way that we can start caring for what's going on and, and uh, supporting and nourishing our inner life so that it becomes nur- uh, nourishing, nurturing, supportive, helpful, and in the end, for, for the, a Buddhist purpose, can be liberating. So so this Vedana, this feeling. um, uh, So it talks about these three, so it talks about two categories of feelings. Some people call it feeling tones. These things, the the qualities of what we can experience. That's a common denominator to all qualities. They can be, uh, all, all experiences can either be pleasant, Unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. That's about as that's about as exciting as it gets. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you know, it's kind of like you know, suddenly the room gets quiet and dull. You know, like pleasant, unpleasant. You know, like, you know, that's pretty uninteresting. And you know, you know, I'd rather have rapture. Or rapture is pleasant. This is boring, pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. You know, this is like getting complicated and boring. That's unpleasant for you. <laughs> um, I've known people, and I've done this, where uh, go to a, into a situation maybe that's socially quite complex. The dynamics in this party are difficult. The noise in the store, or the somewhere, are just like, you know. Complicated and and difficult, and you know, trying to f- find our way, trying to make sense of it, trying to f- find our peace with it, and then stepping back and realize, wait a minute, this is just an unpleasant situation, and to simplify it like that gives a toehold, gives a perspective to relate to it. Oh, it's it's just unpleasant. I don't have to go into all the details of who did what and who said what and the conditions that brought it up. It's just unpleasant. And the stress that I feel of being in this difficult situation is mostly a reaction to how unpleasant it is. Instead of trying to analyze situation or trying to, uh, the, here the idea is keep it really simple and, and experience it as the unpleasant aspect of this complicated situation. The unpleasantness is much more simple. It gives us a toehold to be present for it, to see it, without getting swept into the complexity of the stories and all these things. It's just unpleasant. The same thing, is something that's intensely pleasant. Now why would you want to step back and just, you know, you know, once it's pleasant, you want to just kind of indulge in it. But uh, indulging in something is certainly fine in some ways but it's not conducive to cultivating this heightened, liberated awareness. And this heightened, liberated awareness is really special to have. And so even in a very pleasant situation, someone might decide, I don't want to get swept up in that. Oh, it's just a pleasant situation. As opposed to enamored with it or enchanted with it, it's just a pleasant situation. And we said that, and then there's space. The mind kind of wakes up. It's not kind of caught in it. And the degree to which we can uh, avoid getting caught in what's pleasant, we develop the capacity to also not get caught in what's unpleasant. So it's actually a very, very important uh, thing to to become aware of. And uh, this boring thing of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, kind of long mouthful to even say, turns out to be one of the Buddha's most important teachings one of the most important teachings of Buddha. Uh, And the part of the reason for that is that it lays at the genesis, at the nexus of so much of our life. Turns out it's rather humbling to realize how much of our life is constructed on our reactions to the basic pleasant and unpleasantness of experience. The Buddha uh, describes how whole, uh, whole complicated religious philosophies have their genesis in someone experiencing something as pleasant or unpleasant. Probably uh, political uh, platforms and political points of view uh, started with someone experiencing something, this is unpleasant, and I have to get rid of it, and now I have to have a whole political philosophy to explain why, or, or something as pleasant. Maybe that for the Buddha's analysis is that pleasant and unpleasant are fundamental to our reaction and construction of ourselves and the life and the world we live in. And if we can get a handle on this, if we can see how we react the moment of contact, in the present moment we can actually see the experience of pleasant and unpleasant and not be swept up into the reactivity to it and the constructive aspect of the mind, the story-making story, the story making of the mind, then we have a ch- better chance of cultivating this heightened awareness that we're looking for here in mindfulness practice. So the Buddha said that, um, so he said, the instructions are, when things are pleasant, know them as pleasant. When things are unpleasant, know them as unpleasant. And when they're neither pleasant nor unpleasant, know them as such as that, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So uh, some people find this instruction phenomenally helpful. And I know some people, not for me, I find it helpful, but I don't make it my primary practice. But I've known people who really have taken this in and really helped them get concentrated, helped them get mindful, help them be free of their experience to really stay and see this uh, experience in this kind of way. But then it goes on, Uh, after he says this he kind of introduces those three types of feeling that's the common denominator to all experience and then he says that when there's a pleasant experience of the flesh one knows it's a pleasant experience of the flesh when there's a pleasant experience that's not of the flesh this deeper place what's deeper inside um, one knows that to be a pleasant experience not of the flesh so what's going on here, I think uh, there's a transition being made in this text. And so bear with me a little bit here. So there's 13 exercises. The seventh one is the midpoint. And, um, and uh, so it, I think that whoever constructed this text very carefully constructed the midpoint of it to highlight something important. And the midpoint, in the midpoint, there's this transition from of the flesh to not of the flesh, from the shell to the kernel inside. And so there's a movement away from what can be called of the body now to that which is deeper inside. And the first step of that is the feeling tone. And then we'll see uh, next week that um, uh, uh, the next exercise has to do with mind states. And mind states now are really getting down into the quality of our inner life, how we really feel, what goes on. And to be able to kind of now uh, tune into mind states uh, is you know, the, you know, now beginning to care for this inner quality. And then after that, there's five more exercises that have to do with uh, understanding uh, how our mind states are influenced by um, particular mental factors, like getting really deep down into the mind, and uh, how we get uh, how we get caught, entangled, knotted up, and how we get unknotted, how we get free. Which is, uh, you know, all all elements have to do with this depth of our what I call the inner quality of being. So uh, there's this wonderful transition, almost like a a, um, movement here, from the body to that which is more. I wouldn't call it mind. That keeps a little bit my mind, a little bit on the surface, but kind of the inner quality of how we feel, how we are. So uh, sometimes um, this uh, knot of the flesh is called. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's those feelings that are related to the practice that we do. As we meditate, there are a series of upwelling emotions, sensations, feelings that arise from the practice itself. We're not getting a massage, we're not getting good food, they're not dependent on the weather. It's dependent on the capacity of the mind to let go temporarily of worldly concerns, and to begin, uh, in that letting go, deep letting go, to be able to develop concentration and stillness and peace and a certain kind of inner joy that can well up. And it wells up, it's, it's kind of like it's welling up for no good reason, except that we're getting concentrated. So that's a, uh, for some people that's a, uh, um, a revolutionary kind of experience to have, because for some people, until that time, uh, they've always been dependent on something in the world being just right, uh, getting having the right flavor ice cream, you know, or get the right weather, or they're being with the right people, or not being with the wrong people, or you know, something has to be something has to be lined up, and you know, and um, and our happiness and well-being is dependent on the conditions of the world. Um, then it's a little bit uh, like um, if we're all constantly shifting and changing the conditions that are around us and we can always have it just right and get that sweet spot where we're just happy. It's kind of like sh- uh, shifting the deck chairs in the Titanic as it's going down. You know, we're all going down. <laughs> you know, so we're shifting, you know, moving around. Or, or we're constantly shifting that which is very impermanent. It just, it, it just doesn't stay the same. I, had to, I saw this in myself today. Um, um, I was kind of uncomfortable for a while today. Then I was comfortable. And then I was uncomfortable. And then I was uncomfortable some more. And then I was uncomfortable some more. So I went and had food. I had lunch. And after the lunch, I thought that was good. But then maybe I ate too much or something, but I felt a lot drowsy. And so I didn't like being drowsy. And so and then I went and lay down to take a 10-minute nap. But I woke up not so contented. <laughs> so what am I going to do then? So then I went for a walk. And that was nice, except it was raining. <laughs> that was nice, except my pants got all wet. <laughs> you know, it just goes on and on, right? The conditions of the world. And so, um, and so you know, sometimes you just go from one, you know. And, you um, but to, but to discover a sense of deep inner well-being that is not dependent on the conditions of the world is a phenomenal thing to do. And then to realize, I don't have to, I don't have to always be changing the conditions, adjusting everything to be happy or well. I just had to kind of tap in to this inner way of being and be the custodian of it, the caretaker of it. How is it that, you know, so we learn that when we start meditating. To start meditating and learning slowly over time to let go of the concerns of the day, the stories that we're caught up in, the, caught, uh, let go of our self pre, self-preoccupation, let go of our self-representations uh, that the stories of who we are, me, myself, and mine that we swim in, and, uh, and be able to let go temporarily our concerns for the world and settle into some deeper sense of simplicity, steadiness, stability, peacefulness, um, joy, happiness, even, oddly enough, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, various kinds of love and to, it's one of the one of the fantastic things of this kind of this deep inner quality it's below the shell that is that the idea that we can have forms of love that have no object most love has an object you know like a person <laughs> you know i'm so in love with that person and which is nice maybe or not um <laughs> but um um, um, But to have this uh, feeling of love well up that has no object, no person, no thing, not even ourselves, it's just a radiance of love. We have all these wonderful capacities of this, if we tap in under the shell to this inner quality of being that can well up from the inside independent of the conditions of the world around us. And then to be able to tap into that and carry that with us through the world is one, part of the art of this practice. So, so first the exercise is to know, just simply know the experiences as pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant or unpleasant. And as we tune into that level of the experience, to um, to be able to use that to study, to be aware of how we react to that. And there's sometimes a, term, a very frequently instantaneous reactivity uh, to us when things are pleasant or unpleasant. For, we, go, we go for or against. We like it, we don't like it. And it's possible to kind of see how that reactivity happens to the pleasant and unpleasant and stop doing it. It's possible to settle back and just let the pleasant be pleasant with no reactivity, no holding on, no leaning towards it, and the unpleasant to be just the unpleasant. Uh, One of the benefits of that that capacity to just be free in the middle of pleasant and unpleasant is that it's possible to have a, a, a joy together with pain. If we're reactive to pain and we're caught in the grip of pain and reacting and pushing and wanting it differently, there's no no room in the psyche for joy. I've had intense pain and very intense joy at the same time, um, mostly in meditation, uh, where I kind of things are simple enough that you can kind of navigate through that. The um, so I'd recommend it for you through this week is as you go through your life. Um, uh, uh, try to keep it so simple that what you just tune in uh, to the pleasant and unpleasant quality of what's going on and see how that can be a mirror to your reactivity to your preferences to your likes and dislikes your ways of going for and against and ask yourself do I need to like or not like this do I need to be for or against it Do I need to go towards the pleasant and hold on to it? Do I need to react, pull away from the unpleasant? Is it possible, what's it like just to be there, breathing and stable and steady, right in the middle of it? Oh, this is an unpleasant situation. But then then the exercise goes a little deeper, as I've been saying, and then once we get a sense of this pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, then it's possible to begin distinguishing the pleasant and unpleasant, that's kind of more of the shell, more of the flesh, more, more kind of has to do with the vicissitudes of life, from the kind of deeper, not of the flesh, not of the world, according to Bhikkhu uh, these deeper kind of uh, spiritual, some people translate it as spiritual, uh, uh, feelings that can begin bubbling up and arising, that are there independent of the vicissitudes of life. And can you kind of tune in and notice that for yourself? Can you notice how some things that are pleasant are just because the weather is a certain way and other things are just seem to be connected some deeper root inside of us? Things that are unpleasant, are they are they of the world or are they connected to something deeper inside of us? The... Uh, they say that uh, the uh, unpleasant experiences which are not of, uh, which are not of the flesh this is kind of a deeper place um, uh, the, the ex- what's how that's explained for is is that unpleasant feeling that can come when we're disconnected from the goodness inside or when we uh, unpleasant feeling when we're, we really want to practice, we really want to tap into this deeper roots, inside of, roots, to see this essence inside of us, we want to tap into it, we want to practice it. We would like to move in the path of freedom, but we can't. And that frustration, that, that disappointment, that yearning, which is unpleasant, uh, the tradition calls that's uh, an experience of the flesh, not of the flesh, that's unpleasant. But when we can pursue that when we can practice when we can engage in, in, in um, meditation for example or being on the path to practice then um, that's when these knot of the flesh, these deeper wellsprings get tapped into and bubble up. And what do you know about these deep wellsprings, wellsprings inside of you? What do you know about goodness and well-being and peace or something beautiful that resides in your inner in the quality of your inner life that's worth pursuing, worth developing worth protecting, worth acknowledging, it's worth giving time to and allowing it to grow and nourish and develop that you want to incubate it you want to sit on it and be with it and allow it to kind of develop and grow this uh, not of the flesh, this inner quality of stuff it's for some people it's quite quite uh, fragile. some people hardly ever tap into it they don't even know it's there and but occasionally it kind of happens by accident and it can easily be um, be lost because we're so easily swept up into the big concerns of our life. but how do we stay close to it and incubate it? How do we stay close to it and allow it to nourish and grow and develop and become strong is kind of the task. But one of the ways to do that is to um, recognize it. Oh, this is not of the flesh. This is this inner quality. This is... So... um, So... uh, So... So I'll repeat something as I... And this little is—I is, um, find it quite remarkable that in this exercise, the Buddha is simplifying what we focus on in being mindful. To uh, there's no story, there's no analysis, there's no you know complicated ideas. It's just this radical simplicity. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or neither? And that's so much can come out of that. That's really kind of a doorway or gateway into a tremendous amount of uh, depth in this practice. So we have about 10 minutes. And um, I don't know how clear I was with this. And um, so if you would like to ask any questions. You're welcome to. Or if you have testimonials about practicing with these uh, Vedana, these feeling tones, it would be nice to hear.
2: Gil, suppose you've had an opportunity to um, be generous and you can see that uh, your, your generosity is doing some good for someone. Um, uh, and that feels good. Maybe you didn't even get thanked, but but just knowing that you've done been helpful feels very good. Would that be more? Would that kind of happiness or pleasant feeling be more of this world or inner? Would you
1: say? So, if one has a, a, a pure form of generosity, and that uh, and there's an upwelling of good feelings inside. Is that of the flesh or not of the flesh? I suspect it's not of the flesh if it's really pure in a sense. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, so, you know I, so I could be generous to someone and I hope everyone noticed. That was really great. People noticed how generous I was. Boy, that was great. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, No, not that. Not
1: that. <laughs> not that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. I mean,
2: there's, there is going to be a, like a feeling here in your chest
1: area. if It fails to have some depth to it.
2: Okay, that was my question. Um, one of the traps I get into in my mind is I s- imagine a situation and I can turn that into this very um, painful ex- experience for internally. It, it not, it's not going to happen. It didn't happen. It's not going to happen. But it's all si- based on fear. If I imagine a certain situation, I can imagine which way it would go, either good or bad. Uh-huh. Um, then... You know, in that moment, I suppose if I were being mindful, it would be to label that pleasant or unpleasant. Yeah. Or just stop the thinking altogether.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be nice. Uh, Yeah, maybe if you saw saw the fantasy that you're making up, the imagination you're making up as being something unpleasant, um, then you, uh, you might. Uh, so two things might happen. You might either might say, "This is so unpleasant. I don't need to bother with this. I've done it so many times. I know where it's going. It's not, this is unpleasant." And it's just pull back and let go if you can. Um, the other thing that might happen, that um, sometimes is more more useful, more realistic, is because it's not so easy to let go. Is uh, is then we can see, "Oh, this is un- this is unpleasant. But why am I chasing it?" Why am I staying and, you know, gnawing at, at at it? And then you might see the attachment you have or the fear you have or the emotion that's propelling it. Um, so sometimes that simplicity of just seeing pleasant and unpleasant can help us look at, at the reactivity or the drive we have that's connected to it.
0: Um, so when you feel something not of the flesh, like a good feeling of contentment or well-being, you suggest you can just stay with it and enjoy it, like during meditation?
1: Yeah, you can. The idea of enjoying it is a little dangerous, uh, because I can have attachment in it. Um, I think that, uh, but it's also enjoying, maybe it's, it's a kind of word that straddles Uh, two sides you know it straddles uh, indulging Mm -hmm. and just allowing it to be there so we kind of allow it to be there and appreciate it but we don't indulge in it
0: okay like I find that I could let it be and but I'm worried that when it's not there I'd be looking for it you
1: know no so if if it's there uh, yes let it be but appreciate its presence, value it, without being attached to it. Because if we don't acknowledge it and appreciate it, it's e- it's easy easy to overlook it and get caught up in other things. Mm. So we want to kind of nourish that and uh, and allow it to be there. But we can kind of take some of the life out of it if we're too actively indulging in it, or you know, ah, oh, this is great, this is the best. <laughs> just 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 very simple. Just feel it and be with it. It, it actually gets, it actually, uh, uh, the paradox is that um, to, to have some degree of concentration and focus and have these good feelings well up, um, they actually get stronger if you don't indulge in them. Indulging in them kind of makes it worse. It, may, it kind of takes some of the life or some of the squeezes them a little bit. Too. So if you really want to indulge, don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you.
2: Isn't uh, part of the idea of meditation practice to learn to not label things as as good and bad? Uh-huh. I'm trying to reconcile this with, with now sort of bringing a more continual presence to. Hey, is is what I'm experiencing? Is this good or is this bad or is this neutral? Uh-huh.
1: I think that uh, meditation practice, at least in, in this Buddhist tradition, does involve making some learning to make distinctions. <clears throat> Good and bad are so vague and unhelpful that it's probably not useful to do that. But it's useful to distinguish between what is um, healthy and unhealthy Uh, and what is helpful and not helpful. So there are distinctions that are useful. So if you know that uh, it's not helpful to be lost in fantasy, then you can, uh, then, you know, it's not helpful so I should let go of this. If you know it's helpful to focus on the simplest simple pleasant unpleasantness of the experience and that keeps you present and keeps you kind of free and not entangled in things, then we can pursue that. So there are distinctions being made that are different than good and bad. And I don't think I used uh, the terms good and bad today. Uh, it, it was uh, a pleasant and unpleasant. And pleasant and unpleasant are a little bit more, almost like inherent in the experience. Uh, so I'm sitting here right now and I put my foot on top of my my right foot on top of my ang- left ankle, and it's actually a little bit unpleasant. You know, I would actually say it hurts. <laughs> 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 but, you know, it, you know but it, it's unpleasant. And, uh, and, uh, and then, but then I've had my, the way I'm sitting here, I'm, you know, leaning on my left arm, and stretching, and that feeling of stretching is actually pleasant. I'm not. I'm not manufacturing it necessarily. I'm not like, you know, making a value judgment on it either one. I'm not saying one is good and one is bad. Um, the ankle thing is not. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just is. It's just unpleasant. The stretching of my arm. Uh, it's not good or, good. or bad. it's just. It just. One is that. That's pleasant. Uh, and so, and um, and I'm not making that up. Whereas good and bad, we're making up. Mm-hmm. so uh, maybe one one more over here if you can to the corner
0: so one of the um, things you offered was or suggested we could offer was testimonials I have a testimonial to working with unpleasant feeling tone Uh um Shortly after I sat a very long retreat, I was hospitalized for a period of time um, and ended up needing to get a lot of blood drawn and, you know, lots of being poked as a pin cushion. Um, And I very quickly came to get really curious about the experience of having blood drawn and being poked And it's now a very pleasant experience to watch what those sensations are like and to watch them change. So it's both awareness of feeling tone and and of impermanence and of change, changing experience. It's not static. It's Mm -hmm. different every time. And that like investigation, that curiosity and um, yeah, watching it shift has just brought so much joy. I would have never thought that Fantastic. it would. I enjoy it so much now. Fantastic.
1: So I, 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 I like this a lot. What you're saying and what I'm assuming here or thinking is that the um, uh, you know when uh, if we if we experience something as being pain, painful or bad or something like that, we simp- we, we kind of like um, miss. A, it's, it's it's very reductionistic sometimes to be able to have careful mindfulness see that all the different aspects of it and the details of it some of those details start becoming pleasant and interesting mm-hmm. but in addition what, what happened to you was the investigation became pleasant and uh, this idea that we have this power of, of attention and looking more deeply and being curious about things then we start becoming free of the event pleasantness or unpleasantness and we have we tap into this beautiful quality. Wow, this is interesting. It's unpleasant. Let's take a look. <laughs> the, let's take a look. It's pleasant. <laughs> is pleasant. Is that close enough to what? Yeah,
0: it's all, yeah, it's great, right. Great,
1: great. So, I hope you have um, a, a few experiences that are pleasant or unpleasant this week, so you can you can you know have something to study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If you're lucky enough, there'll be a few. So thank you all.